0: I became hooked as a, a very young clinician on HIV uh, work, having looked after uh, this young man who was the first uh, patient whose brain scan is all that remains of him, but he was the first patient to come into our hospital, uh, which was St George's um, in London, with HIV, and I looked after him both on the neurology wards, and he presented with, even you can probably see at the back of the room, uh, uh, something that shouldn't be there in his brain, which was a, a plasma granuloma. And then I looked after him subsequently on the infection, disease wards where he spent his uh, last few days, um, or last few uh, weeks and months, Um, but I think it was the sort of extraordinary prejudice and stigma of HIV infection that seemed to make it so much worse than other diseases. Um, So I I decided to uh, work on HIV infection, didn't know an awful lot about uh, science, having done a a degree uh, as far as my undergraduate training on in history and philosophy of science, which taught me to write essays but not really which way up to hold the pipette. So I was pretty naive uh, when I arrived in the lab and I was particularly glad to have the opportunity to work with Helen Bodmer who um, uh, taught me how to culture cells Andrew did a little bit of lab teaching. I think he taught me how to remove candida from uh, cell cultures. That was probably quite useful. But um, I I learned an awful lot else from Andrew, and then also particularly from Doug and Francis, who were starting the HIV work in Andrew's lab at that time and had already had uh, considerable success but um i've uh, and I completely agree with what Marcus uh, just said about the challenges of studying uh, human immunology in humans, um, but I perhaps rather foolishly went to take this a little bit further and go on to work uh, in Africa, where um, uh, uh, as you can um, all imagine, HIV has spread to an extent that it impacts not just on uh, um, uh, that it impacts on everyday life really in in an extraordinary way. So that although it it, it was only noticed in the 80s that um, uh, HIV uh, uh, caused infections outside what had been the standard risk groups that we learnt about um, as medical students, Um, In in 1986, a group I'll go on to talk about, already uh, two-thirds of the uh, sex workers in a slum in Nairobi had acquired HIV infection. But over time, that's spread worse and worse. And although things have probably stabilised and the widespread introduction of um, antiretroviral treatment has made a huge difference, there are still staggering prevalences in places such as rural KwaZulu-Natal, where up to 50% of women attending antenatal clinics may be HIV positive. So the figures are still very uh, very, uh, stark, and HIV has a big impact on um, uh, everyday life in all ways because this is a disease, unlike many of the big infections um, in Africa, uh, that affects young adults um, as much as it affects uh, the children and the elderly. So it tends to take out the uh, most productive members of society and those on whom uh, the rest of the uh, extended family depends. So although um, access to antiretrovirals has improved the situation, it's still only a fraction of those who need it. So HIV, um, uh, research in HIV uh, vaccines and uh, trying to understand uh, more about the biology and treatment of the disease um, has, uh, remains a challenge and I'm I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about that from Doug, uh, sorry, from uh, Dan Baruch uh, and and possibly Zhaoning later. So I'm going to take you back, actually, to somebody who's even older than many of the senior scientists in this room. And this is the, uh, this is the person who is believed to have first described the principle of uh, protective immunity and he's a Greek historian whose name I'm not going to attempt uh, to pronounce, describing uh, the plague of Athens. And the interesting thing about the plague at that time was that um, it was highly contagious, and it was particularly difficult to find people to nurse the sick, because they were clearly going to be at risk of catching the infection themselves. And after this had been grumbling on for quite some time and devastating the city, uh, they they worked out that the people who should be looking after the sick those who'd had the disease and recovered um, for the same man was never atta- attacked twice at least not fatally so um, there did appear to be some degree of uh, protective immunity and in fact you, if you continue reading you'll see that these people thought they were not only safe from the plague of Athens but from any disease whatsoever and I'm afraid vaccinology despite um, Adrian's best efforts hasn't quite got that far so I'm sure you'll hear, Dan will talk more about the issues with HIV vaccines, and I won't labour those in in huge detail, there are lots of particular issues, many of which are common to other infections, Um, there's been been one successful efficacy trial, but it's a fairly uh, poor level of efficacy and the mechanism isn't entirely clear, Um, and uh, the issue of protective immunity remains um, an important one because um, most of the vaccines that we use uh, currently on an everyday basis um, in our uh, in childhood and later in adulthood are based on this idea that you have long-term protective immunity um, from uh, from an infection that doesn't, that uh, you survive um, your initial infection with and that really isn't fulfilled with HIV because as far as we know uh, most people that um, uh, encounter HIV and become infected have uh, lifelong infection and may event and probably will eventually succumb to the disease. So trying to look at protective immunity is a challenge and i I'm um, going to tell you a bit about this community later on. Um, this is a picture from World AIDS Day uh, in, the, in the animist village of Kayo in Guinea Biss- rural Guinea-Bissau, um, which has uh, the distinction of having the highest uh, um, prevalence of HIV-2 in any community and, and it's a particularly interesting place that I'll talk about in a bit, a bit later. Uh, <coughs> There are various ways in which you can try and understand protective immunity in animal and in human models. And the approach that we took um, uh, with Andrew over a long period was to look at different uh, categories of people, uh, rather than animals, who had um, HIV exposure or infection, but had done, uh, but were in the rare group of people who had done surprisingly well um, with that, uh, and, and either survived or resisted infection. And to summarise, what was a huge amount of work going on uh, in other labs as well as Andrews? um, A great deal had been accumulated to suggest that uh, cytotoxic T cells. And I think I think I'm right in thinking that this picture was for a long time on the door of the gents' toilet in the lab, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And um, anyway, it's it's there now. And uh, the um, uh, this that a great deal had been. Uh, to to suggest that, uh, of evidence that had been accumulated to suggest that T-cells do play a role in uh, HIV control. Um, uh, Rodney and I did a little bit of the the, uh, immunology work on that study um, as part of my PhD, uh, showed that um, T-cells were able to uh, select uh, T-cell variants and that, although that was a an idea that received some hostility at the time, um, it subsequently became uh, accepted. And in fact, it's now quite clear that um, there are, are footprints on the evolution of the virus um, that, uh, that uh, give you um, uh, an indication of T-cell pressure in different people according to their HLA ha- class 1 haplotype. Um, And there's animal evidence, and there's uh, Graham Ogg's paper, which we've uh, heard quite a bit about, and uh, and, and a a great and accumulating genetic evidence as well to suggest that the class one system and cytotoxic T cells in particular um, show a a relationship um, with uh, viral control. So we went on to look at um, exposed and infected uh, donors. And the first opportunity we had to do this uh, was a a baby that was born to um, a a family where the husband was haemophiliac and his wife had become uh, infected in the course of uh, trying to have a baby. And uh, this is at a stage when uh, molecular diagnosis of infant HIV infection really hadn't uh, emerged. Uh, And Douglas was working in virology at that time, doing a a lab stint, a clinical stint, and he uh, collected, uh, uh, with us, collected. Samples from the baby to try and work out if the child was actually infected. And when the child was about nine months old, we grew out a T cell line that was highly HIV-specific, and we thought that probably meant the child was going to be um, infected. What you had to do at that stage was wait until maternal antibody disappeared. um, And uh, as we waited, the maternal antibody did disappear, um, and uh, what the baby didn't acquire. Um, his own antibodies and uh, uh, so and using retrospective diagnosis on stored samples we found that the initial samples we'd taken were virus negative by PCR and culture. So this was a child with with a clear-cut um, T-cell t- response that we could grow and manipulate in the labs um, and, and seem to be highly specific, but, but from a, a child that was uninfected at the time. Um, and of course, um, we've talked quite a bit already today about cross-reactivity. Um, and there still, I think, is, is um, uh, there is quite a uh, there's quite a lot to suggest that some Cross-reactions may be part of these responses, but nevertheless, they appear to be enriched in people with a great deal of HIV exposure. Um, So this led on to studies in uh, the Gambia Um, with all kinds of interesting hazards. Um, This is a baby crocodile, and this is a much bigger crocodile, frightening uh, Tao Dong, who was my first PhD student and came out to uh, do a lot of these studies. And uh, Francis uh, uh, Gotch had pioneered the HIV lab and and cleared out some of the ants and other uh, nasty creatures from the lab to get it um, fit to work in. And uh, uh, between us, we all did quite a lot of work on uh, uh, T cell responses. HIV uh, in in the MRC labs in the Gambia. And uh, uh, to cut a long story short, one of the studies that we uh, carried out was looking at uh, immune responses, trying to culture T cells um, that were specific for HIV uh, in sex workers with a great deal of HIV exposure. And this, this is the, the MRC Gambia clinic. And these were women who, uh, as prostitution uh, was illegal, they're, they're all hiding their faces. And, and from time to time, the police used to raid the clinic, which obviously didn't help recruitment. Um, but uh, the, um, uh, they, uh, we, we had good data to suggest that there was a reasonably high frequency of HIV in this um, cohort. Um, and interestingly, they'd been exposed both to HIV-1 and HIV-2, um, which is an, a, a virus that had probably been around for longer in West Africa. And in, in a, a small group of women with a particular HLA type, B35, where we'd previously defined um, some. Te- uh, Um, peptide epitopes in detail, we could find uh, cross-reactive T cells grow them out, show they killed virus-infected cells, and so on, Um, and quite extensive testing found no evidence of virus infection in those women. And our our theory at the time, and this may be relevant um, uh, to some things we'll talk about later on, was that priming in this case had been by the, uh, potentially by exposure to the less pathogenic HIV-2. It's certainly much less infectious than HIV-1, and maybe that led to protection against um, HIV-1 in people with the HLA-type that selected cross-reactive T-cells. At the same time, a report came out from um, Nairobi, from a Canadian group from um, Manitoba, led by Frank Plummer, um, who had uh, been following a similar group Um, of uh, women, but with a much higher degree of exposure. And this is in a slum in Pomwani, Majengo. um, And the study was originally set up to look at a rather unpleasant um, genital ulcer disease, which I haven't got any pictures of, you'd be glad to know. And, but even in 1986, around two-thirds of the women were found to be infected with HIV. And over the course of the the, the next few years, uh, seroprevalence increased um, to about 90%. And the, the women were under some economic pressure to be exposed to HIV. Men would pay more for sex uh, without a condom at that time, um, and uh, the, the, um, uh, it was estimated by the epidemiologists that there was really very significant exposure. And yet a subgroup uh, remained uninfected, um, and if they, those who remained uninfected for three years became actually less likely to get, acquire infections subsequently. And, and the Manitoba group described this as HIV resistant. And Francis and I went to Nairobi and met with the group and discussed uh, collaborating. Uh, and this led to uh, us doing studies um, in the labs in Nairobi with these, um, with blood uh, taken directly from the women and working with that group again to look at, uh, to see whether the same phenomenon uh, could apply. Um, I should mention also that um, the, these cells were very difficult to infect, uh, in, uh, very easy rather to infect in vitro with HIV, so it wasn't a, a problem of, uh, a lack of infectability. In fact, T- Tao, who did a lot of these experiments, found that uh, the only blood that was more infectable than these women's uh, uh, was mine, which wasn't particularly um, uh, encouraging. <laughs> um, and a, a lot of data came out um, from uh, this group. Um, they'd already shown that there were some HLA plus one and two associations with resistance. Um, and a, a course of work from... Uh, Uh, Tau and a PhD student in the group Rupert Cole, we found um, the same kind of phenomenon of high levels of T-cells, virus-specific T-cells, both CD8 and CD4, in the blood and in the genital mucosa of these women. And in particular, in the genital mucosa, they seem to be relatively enriched compared to the blood um, in the resistant women, but not in the HIV-positive women. And the T-cells did uh, targeted Conserved epitopes in the in the virus. And interestingly, um, from a, a, an infectious disease kind of point of view, the responses increased with duration of prostitution. So women coming into the cohort knew didn't have T-cell responses that we could detect, but uh, over the course of three years, um, uh, the prevalence increased, so around half of the women um, had detectable T-cells by three years, which is at least uh, suggestive of acquired immunity. Um, But also, at the time, uh, Rupert found that if women took a break of several months from sex work um, they may lose their T cell response, and this coincided with um, late seroconversion in some of the women, which led us with your other awkward public health message of <laughs> prostitution not being a great way to avoid HIV infection. But if you started it, then you couldn't stop. Um, so. Um, And I should read something. I I got a letter around this time, um, and I've always suspected it was from somebody in Oxford. Um, I've never found out. Um, And I I opened it around Easter and came down to share it with Andrew almost straight away. And it comes from... An organisation called, and you can't read the script, so I'll have to read it to you, Madame Internationale. And I'm hoping somebody might blush. So if you notice anybody blushing, um, it's obviously somebody very intelligent and well informed. And it says Dear Dr. Roland Jones, we at Madame Internationale pride ourselves on the wide range of personal services we make available to our discerning clients worldwide. It's not escaped our notice that your exciting, cutting-edge research into HIV, the scourge of our times, not to mention a considerable business inconvenience to us here, has frequently been a topic of press interest, and we've watched the progress of your work with a growing professional interest. In the light of this, our director, Lucille Morales, or loose morales uh, has instructed me as chief company medical officer to make an initial contact with your research group regarding a possible arrangement of potential mutual benefit we were somewhat wary of approaching your venerable university but we have been emboldened by the eagerness with which your seat of learning accepted the generous endowment of the flick family towards the new chair in european thought I might add in confidence that Herr Fleek is himself one of our most valued customers. (laughs) In these times of increasing moral squeamishness, it's heartening to see there are still enterprising educational establishments eager to make links with all parts of the private sector, whatever the sneers of the liberal press. To be blunt, in return for priority knowledge of breakthroughs in your research into the immune systems of workers in some of the less glamorous parts of our industry, we'd be willing to offer substantial financial support to your institution. Um, and in addition to an initial advance, and I won't go all to the financial details, make certain pers- um, we would be ha- happy to cover indefinitely your travel expenses and those of your co-workers and offer a corporate discount on a variety of facilities, all your associates... <laughs> all your associates would automatically be entitled to a Madame Internationale gold card, <laughs> giving, giving free 24-hour access to our hotline at hotels in every major city on the planet. If you wish to discuss any aspect of our proposal, however informally, um, do not hesitate to contact me anybody slightly pink <laughs> and, uh, so I brought this down to Andrew um, I said it had it, been away and so I hadn't opened it when it on the date that it had been sent which was April the first you might imagine um, and Andrew said gosh that gold card sounds good <laughs> anyway uh, we didn't we, we 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 chose not to pursue that um. <laughs> And then, um, as and again, you'll, I'm sure you'll hear more about that. Um, the, 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 some of these observations led to the T cell vaccine, and, and this is Helen McShane immunising on the John Waring ward, um, the infectious disease ward. Um, Evan Harris, who was then the MP for Oxford, and people may not know that there were probably about—he probably had about ten immunizations, didn't he? One of the vaccine and about ten of saline because there were so many photographers in the room. But it did—it did help his re-election, I think. Um, and but obviously it wasn't clear <coughs> at that stage and uh, whether that kind of vaccination would provide any protection and at the time at the time because of i was working with um, a pediatrician from the university of washington grace john stewart and she said well how how many people can you do um, immunology studies on and i said 3 she said can you do any more than that i said 10, and she said, what about several hundred? And her her proposition was that now that the high throughput kind of tetromerely spot techniques had um, improved for detecting T cells, it might be possible to address public health or epidemiological questions using immunology techniques and this is a study that we set up a long time ago um, and it took quite a long time to come through to fruition as you can see just by the numbers of people involved. Uh, Grace um, and in collaboration with us received an NIH a large NIH grant to develop this study and, and recruited about f- um, uh, f- 500 women who were HIV positive um, at delivery, they were offered what we could afford um, at that stage, and and, uh, there was no um, drug treatment for pregnant women available in in Kenya, so we offered them short course AZT for the last trimester, Um, and if they wanted um, formula feed, they could have that as well subsequently, although most women chose to breastfeed. And we followed up the women and their babies, and bled them um, uh, through the first uh, year of life um, every three months and um, out to two years if they survived and the aim was really to try and design an epidemiological experiment that would answer this question of whether T cells could protect against HIV so it was a massive uh, study and it was quite a big uh, risk I think Um, And um, it was an extraordinarily large number of ELISPOT assays and with parallel um, uh, sensitive PCRs to measure both viral DNA and RNA at each time point. All the assays done uh, blind to the status of the baby, they were done with fresh blood in in, um, Nairobi uh, using people who'd been trained in our lab and then the, the viral results were known later. Um, and uh, we also tested uh, Tom and Andrew's vaccine contract, uh, construct as part of this. And uh, to cut a long story short again, because um, it was a hun- well over a 1,000 ELISPORT assays were, were performed, around half of the infants had at least one positive assay during the course of, of the study, um, although these were mostly transient and often only detected at one or two time points. But we didn't see them in control infants. They were broadly um, uh, directed, although tend to be, um, and some of them were really very large um, uh, responses, but tended on the whole to be short-lived. Interestingly, they were more often seen in, in girl infants, and there's now quite a lot of interest in the sort of gender uh, biology of, of the immune response um, but uh, th- the experiment that we designed if uh, because a lot of babies became infected between zero and month one um, if we'd been designing the experiment again which clearly wouldn't be impossible now ethically, we would have have introduced a two week time point because it was very difficult to tell whether if babies were positive at month one, whether they'd become infected at birth or through early breast milk transmission. But nevertheless there was a significant association although the numbers were small uh, uh, with having um, a a response and indeed with the magnitude of the response and protection from postnatal transmission. So it was a kind of sort of surrogate vaccine experiment um, using postnatal breast milk HIV transmission as, as the, um, uh, as the, as the um, infectious challenge. So um, I got, had got by this stage quite enthusiastic about working in the tropics and I, I um, had the opportunity to go back to the Gambia um, in uh, 2004 um, as director of research and um, if you haven't been to West Africa you won't it's quite hard to imagine how enthusiastic Uh, the villagers are uh, when an MRC Land Rover rolls up. And these people had, in a remote, full of village up country, uh, with the then director of the MRC, Colin Blakemore, um, they they were drumming and singing. And you could hear the women uh, singing from uh, um, a a good mile away um, uh, through the open windows of the Land Rover. And uh, uh, chickens were awarded to Colin. And many babies who had been born recently were, were named in his honor. Um, and uh, so it, it's, it's really quite an exciting place. The MRC has been there for uh, 60 years, or, well, no, I suppose it's nearly 70 now, and uh, really integrated into the... Um, the health systems of the country. And people um, have a very sophisticated understanding of the benefits of participating in research um, because of the uh, care uh, uh, that the MRC provides and the enthusiasm of the country for adopting um, some of the public health measures that have been shown to be useful there. And during that time, we became particularly interested in HIV-2 infection, which is the second HIV strain, probably entered humans around the same same time, Uh, uh, but further west, um, probably around the Tau Forest in in, uh, Côte d'Ivoire. And and unlike uh, HIV, one has remained fairly confined uh, to countries of West Africa and also, somewhat curiously, to countries um, with a strong um, economic connection with Portugal. Um, And and it's thought that uh, the the very long uh, war of independence in um, uh, Guinea-Bissau and Cape Verde um, led to uh, a sort of breakdown of normal vaccination programmes and, and a lot of social instability that allowed HIV-2 to rise to really very uh, considerable heights there. So um, we worked on the coast uh, in MRC Gambia, but uh, the field station where most of the work I'm going to talk about was uh, done was in this little village called Kayo, um, which is uh, remote and uh, quite... Although it's only probably about a hundred miles, um, if you went directly, it's not actually possible to go directly, and you have to have a fairly circuitous route, crossing a couple of borders, a very long ferry crossing. Uh, if the ferries, if the two ferries are closed, you have to go an uh, exceedingly long way round, um, and it, and then the last um, hour or so is along a, a dirt track uh, with uh, sleeping uh, cattle and. Uh, um, and deep ruts so this um, animated slide was produced by one of the students who did a lot of work there Alex Ligdevic, and describes the crossing of the borders trying not to uh, give too much money to the border guards we also had paracetamol and condoms um, to give to them instead Uh, finally reaching uh, the uh, very rusty old ferry that kind of took us across and then getting down to Cairo and I say come right, come to the pig at the end. And there is now a bridge which uh, makes it a little bit easier to get get to. So HIV-2 was of interest to us particularly because um, the way the natural history behaves very differently uh, from HIV-1. So although some people get sick in a clinically identical fashion to HIV-1, Um, the majority of people um, uh, show no signs of immunodeficiency and actually uh, are much more likely to die of old age or other illnesses than to show anything that uh, you could attribute to HIV infection. And we think that the proportions are approximately sort of 80-20 from uh, work that's been done in CHIO. And increasingly, and this is probably the bottom line of the study, the the responses to HIV-2 that we saw in that group Uh, who who didn't progress uh, resemble those that we currently think we'd like to see in a vaccine. This is a a survival curve and um, based on uh, about 15 years of observation of people in Cayo who had viral loads done at entry and the the, the dark bar shows the survival curve of people um, without HIV And uh, almost superimposed on that is the survival of people who have an undetectable viral load at entry. We'd call those elite controllers if they had HIV-1, but they'd be really rare. In HIV-2, at at least 40% of people had uh, undetectable viral load at study entry, and that remained stable for over a decade. So it's a very different clinical phenotype from what's described in HIV-1. And survival really is only affected uh, once your viral load is above Um, uh, uh, above 100, and in fact these are not very high viral loads compared to what we would see uh, with HIV-1. So something that we've looked at a great deal in the Gambia, and we still remain very interested in looking at a variety of factors, Um, probably not the virus, this is uh, some work recently done by Tushan De Silva, working in our group, looking at clusters of transmission and finding uh, that uh, that, uh, people with very clear uh, relationship to one another have, vi- uh, have very different clinical outcomes, uh, even though we, we assume um, from his uh, phylogenetic studies that the virus is the same. So it doesn't look to be the virus, although there haven't been uh, full-length viral studies done uh, to date uh, for, uh, for HIV2. Um, It elicits neutralising antibodies, which are very um, uh, potent, um, but there isn't a correlation between having neutralising antibodies um, and clinical outcome. Um, But uh, there are strong HLA associations um, and gene associations, and probably the most striking finding that uh, was of our, our studies in, in HIV-2, was that people who made a response to uh, GAGS, the uh, internal protein of HIV-2, had a, a very significantly uh, uh, higher chance of being a, a non-progressor with an undetectable viral load. And this work was done by Alex, who uh, lived down in the village for uh, a for several months, did all the experiments on site in a lab that she helped uh, get converted from what had been a, a sort of storeroom and, um, uh, and, and uh, learnt the local languages, uh, joined in with all the rituals, um, sacrificed a pig uh, to help the, appease the spirits and make the study go well and so on. And we, we found that the T-cells the that correlate with control, um, and I think I've left out a slide, never mind, Um, that uh, show quite striking differences from what we previously described in HIV-1, that they're high frequencies, even in people with undetectable viral load, that are present over uh, uh, several years that we've been able to look at uh, with highly conserved uh, t cell receptors public motifs uh, in unrelated people and exquisitely antigen sensitive um, but not uh, characterized by high levels of perforin but much more uh, high cytokine producers as might be expected from their stage of differentiation so this is we think these um, these are interesting pointers about the kind of t cells that may be able to uh, control HIV, although, of course, it's equally possible that um, uh, having an undetectable viral load that's controlled for other reasons allows you to generate this very potent (coughs) T cell response, and that's work that we want to continue to look at.